Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, back in Elon Musk versus Twitter land as things have gotten even more exciting than they already were. If you're not familiar with any part or portion of this case, well, we've got the playlist for you, Elon Musk versus Twitter. This will be the 21st video in that playlist, but suffice it to say, Elon Musk tried to buy Twitter, then he decided to back out of that purchase. Twitter said, no, we're going to sue you to make you buy that company. And here we sit with arguments going back and forth, arguments we've reviewed here in virtual legality between Elon Musk and Twitter as to whether or not the court should force him under the merger agreement, which he signed to finish up the purchase of Twitter for more than $40 billion. Now, as we talked about in the documents we looked at before, the answers, the countersuit, all these various things, each side has reasonable arguments on their behalf. It's a little bit unclear how the court will ultimately determine who would be the victor based solely on the suit and countersuit because so much is premised on the facts and circumstances of what information Twitter provided, whether Elon Musk's requests were legitimate, reasonable for the purposes that he is saying he asked for that information, and and exactly how Twitter responded to those specific requests until the last few days. So let's talk a little bit about what has happened. In those documents, in the Twitter countersuit, they describe what Elon Musk is doing as effectively lying to the court, lying to Twitter on a pretextual basis, trying to make up a reason that he can get out of the merger agreement. One of the ways that he can get out is he can say that they breached a promise that they made to him about the company and that that breach of the promise, that lie or that wrongness in that representation and warranty is likely to result in a company material adverse effect, right? You see that phrase right here, Uh, but it means what it says, give or take. It means that something bad has happened to the company and that something bad is material. It's significant. It's not nothing. It's not 50 cents, which we wouldn't care about in a $40 billion company. So Twitter goes out there in their suit and says, Musk wanted an escape, but the merger agreement left him little room. With no financing contingency or diligence condition, the agreement gave Musk no out absent a company material adverse effect or a material covenant breach, which are the two categories of things that Elon Musk has argued. Hey, they lied about their monetizable daily active users, so their SEC filings are wrong. That's a breach of representations. So I can leave there because that's going to be harmful for the company. Or I've asked for a bunch of information about the nature of MDAU, about how Twitter operates. Twitter has refused to give that information to me. And that's where the fight comes in on the facts and circumstances. And because they refused and because they had an obligation under the agreement to provide the information I requested, I can now walk away from the agreement. Twitter disagrees with both those things, says, hey, we've given you all the information you need and there's no company material adverse effect based on these things because we are telling the truth. We said the MDAU was an estimate, our SEC filings are legitimate and we've done our best and you're just seeking a pretext for getting out of this deal. Twitter also has some fairly good defenses to go along with this, saying that Elon Musk isn't permitted to terminate the agreement if he's in breach. So they bring a number of sections which they believe he has breached, including things like tweeting about the deal, which again, on a facts and circumstances basis, both sides could fight about. And they have the defense that says Elon Musk isn't permitted to basically make a material adverse effect appear out of thin air solely by what he claims in his litigation. Or as they say in this response on page 47 of their 127 page answer document, 
Paragraph 70 purports to quote from or characterize the terms of the merger agreement to which Twitter respectfully refers the court for its complete and accurate contents. Twitter asserts that the definition of material adverse event in the merger agreement excludes any changes, events, effects, or circumstances that directly or indirectly relate to or result from any litigation arising out of the proposed merger. So one of the things Elon Musk tries to do in his documents is say, hey, I've got real problems with the MDAU. We've looked at these things. We think it's wildly more than 5%. And the SEC is going to wind up taking a look at this because of this lawsuit, because of the disclosures I am making in public regarding my termination of the merger agreement and regarding the lawsuit that we are now entered into. And Twitter, I think rightfully says, hmm, not so fast, Mr. Musk. You can't create a material adverse effect solely from what's happening in a fight like this one regarding the merger agreement. So Twitter puts up that defense. I think it's a solid one. It would take some effort for Elon Musk and his legal team to get around, which means that what Elon Musk really needed was some kind of third party event analysis or otherwise to really make this case for him. Enter Peter Zatko. So about a week ago here in the Washington Post, we get the big headline Former security chief claims Twitter buried egregious deficiencies. In an explosive whistleblower complaint obtained by the Washington Post, former Twitter security chief Peter Mudge Zatko alleges the company misled regulators about lax security and spam. And we're going to go through this article a little bit. I'm not going to go through the mainline documents. Honestly, I'm not qualified to talk about these security measures that Twitter takes on its server infrastructure and things along those lines. But we're looking at it with a specific focus. Does this affect a company material adverse problem? Does just the actual filing of the complaint, regardless of what's in it, actually create the scenario in which Elon Musk might be permitted to walk away? The answer is complicated. We're going to try to shorten it as much as possible in this video, but I think this is probably the strongest Elon Musk's position has been because of this. So let's look at the article. Twitter executives deceived federal regulators and the company's own board of directors about extreme egregious deficiencies in its defense against hackers, as well as its meager efforts to fight spam, according to an explosive whistleblower complaint from its former security chief. Now, just starting off, a lot of people want to focus on this spam question. I've talked about it with a few people that asked me to comment on it on Twitter, ironically enough. And what's important about this is that it presents a different mechanism by which Elon Musk may be allowed to walk away from the deal, or at least hold it, hang on to that, because it doesn't rely specifically on his MDAU complaint. There's a bunch of other stuff brought up here. The complaint from former head of security Peter Zatko, a widely admired hacker known as Mudge, depicts Twitter as a chaotic and rudderless company beset by infighting, unable to properly protect its 238 million daily users, including government agencies, heads of state, and other influential public figures. So again, separate this out from whether Peter Zatko knows whatever he's talking about. Just note that the Washington Post and a lot of journalistic outlets to follow took this particular complaint and are reporting paragraphs on Twitter that read like this. His complaint says it's a rudderless company beset by infighting. His complaint says it's unable to properly protect its users, etc., etc., etc. At bare minimum, that information, that knowledge, that context is out in public as of the reporting of this complaint. And that means that that might in and of itself be the event that's necessary to constitute a company adverse effect. 
Among the most serious accusations in the complaint, a copy of which was obtained by the Washington Post, is that Twitter violated the terms of an 11-year-old settlement with the Federal Trade Commission by falsely claiming that it had a solid security plan. Zatko's complaint alleges he had warned colleagues that half the company's servers were running out of date and vulnerable software, and that executives withheld dire facts about the number of breaches and lack of protection for user data, instead presenting directors with rosy charts measuring unimportant changes. Now, all in this paragraph is a reasonable kind, minds can differ kind of concept, right? What is a solid security plan? What was specifically required by the FTC settlement? What was Twitter doing? What weren't they doing? We'll see that Twitter's primary defense here is that this guy is crazy and he hyperbolizes our problems and is now disgruntled and is putting forth this complaint because we fired him because he was bad at his job. The complaint filed last month with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, the Department of Justice, the DOJ, and the FTC, to which the settlement relates, says thousands of employees still had wide-ranging and poorly tracked internal access to core company software, a situation that for years had led to embarrassing hacks, including the commandeering of accounts held by such high-profile users as Elon Musk and former Presidents Barack Obama and Donald Trump. Certainly, Elon Musk is mentioned there for reasons. In addition, the whistleblower document alleges the company prioritized user growth over reducing spam, though unwanted content made the user experience worse. Executives stood to win individual bonuses of as much as $10 million tied to increases in daily users, the complaint asserts, and nothing explicitly for cutting spam. Here again, kind of a weak set of arguments here. Just because you're getting incentives for one thing doesn't mean you're not also incentivized to do the other thing. And it also doesn't mean that you can't have a business model that says we want to bring in more people and we don't care as much about what kind of people are brought in or whether they're spammers or fake. Uh, if that can rise our rates and profitability even faster than if we were to devote resources in a different manner. So maybe a bad business decision by Twitter. I wouldn't argue with anyone that says that, but illegal whistleblower type style, not as sure. Chief Executive Parag Agarwal was lying when he tweeted in May that the company was strongly incentivized to detect and remove as much spam as we possibly can. The complaint alleges, now we get into fraud and management in general. In an interview with The Post, Zatko describes his decision to go public as an extension of his previous work exposing flaws in specific pieces of software and broader systemic failings in cybersecurity. He was hired at Twitter by former CEO Jack Dorsey in late 2020 after a major hack of the company system. So he was not at Twitter very long. I felt ethically bound. This is not a light step to take, said Zatko, who was fired by Agrawal in January. So from late 2020 to very early 2022, he's only there for about a year. He declines most other comments. The Post obtained a copy of the disclosure from a senior Democratic aide on Capitol Hill, which is interesting in and of itself. And it says, as a Twitter spokesperson, security and privacy have long been top company-wide priorities at Twitter, and that the allegations appeared to be riddled with inaccuracies, and that Zatko now appears to be opportunistically seeking to inflict harm on Twitter, its customers, and its shareholders. Han said that Twitter fired Zatko after 15 months for poor performance and leadership. That's all we're going to take from the Washington Post article. You can go and you can see linked to it that they've got some of the document complaints and things along those lines. The security chief's final report that talks about issues between management and the board. We will see referenced by Elon Musk, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing I want to note right here is that the Twitter statement says specifically that Zatko has appeared to be seeking to inflict harm on Twitter, its customers, and its shareholders. Remembering, since we're interested most specifically in Elon Musk versus Twitter at this point in time, that one of the things that Twitter said Elon Musk could get out of the deal for and what he was trying to do 
was to establish that there was a company material adverse effect that he couldn't do solely with his litigation. But as we look at the definition of company material adverse effect later on, it's not going to do a lot to change our understanding. It does mean harm the company. And so when your Twitter in this specific circumstance, one of the things that jumps out at me is that you just went out in response to this whistleblower complaint and honestly intimated that this could significantly harm Twitter, its customers, or its shareholders, right? And we will see this again from Mr. Agrawal himself. Han says that Twitter fully stands by its SEC filings, and a person familiar with Zatko's tenure said the company investigated his security claims during his time there and concluded they were sensationalistic and without merit. That might well be. Twitter can say, ah, he's ridiculous both then and now. That doesn't necessarily make it so, especially if they don't want to otherwise be dealing with this issue in the first instance. Now, we get Mr. Agrawal tweeting about this as it happens, as there are news reports outlining claims about our specific practices. A former Twitter executive who was terminated in January 2022 for ineffective leadership and poor performance. We were reviewing the claims that have been published, but what we've seen so far is a false narrative that is riddled with inconsistencies and inaccuracies and presented without important context. I know this is frustrating and confusing to read, given that Mudge was accountable for many aspects of the work that he is now inaccurately portraying more than six months after his termination. Interestingly, here's Twitter admitting that he was responsible for the things that he's otherwise talking about, which puts him in more of the first-person category rather than the third-party category, but we will see Twitter fight that with respect to Elon Musk. None of this takes away from the important work you have done and continue to do to safeguard the privacy and security of our customers and their data. Given the spotlight on Twitter at the moment, we can assume that we will continue to see more headlines in the coming days, and this will only make our work harder. Again, you're trying to get a $44 billion deal ordered by a court, which is an equitable kind of concept. That is the judge in that court of chancery in Delaware deciding on her own recognizance that it would be unfair for Elon Musk to be able to walk away from the deal. And so you going out with statements about this is intended to harm Twitter, this will make our work harder, is already telling a story that is suggestive of the fact that this is a material adverse event that we are looking at right now. They just don't seem to be being very cautious about this while they respond to this particular issue. And the fact that they're responding, the fact that the CEO is responding, the fact that the Washington Post is reporting on it, as well as all these other outlets, also suggests a certain level of materiality, because if that materiality didn't exist, well, there really wouldn't be a lot of news to discuss. And we've looked at articles here in this space and in Hangouts and Headlines that talk about things that aren't that important, about the discovery process, about letters that are exchanged between these parties, about how the answers to a countersuit don't destroy the other party. That's just not how the legal system works. This seems much more significant, which is why when this went down, I said, this is obviously good for Musk as it throws Twitter's self-reporting under another microscope. Remember, specific performance, ordering him to complete the deal is an equitable remedy, which of course leads us to today. And the Associated Press reporting Musk cites whistleblower as new reason to exit Twitter deal. Now, we're not going to read through what the Associated Press has to say about it because we can read through these documents ourselves. So as of yesterday, about a week after the whistleblower report first came to be acknowledged by the Washington Post, we have Elon Musk saying, whoa, whoa, whoa now. This is another reason why we can terminate our deal. We write on behalf of the Elon Musk parties to provide an additional notice of termination of the agreement and plan of merger by and among the Musk parties and Twitter dated as of April 25th. On July 8th, the Musk parties terminated the merger agreement. Again, this is a fight. They say, we terminated already. Twitter says, no, you're not allowed. On certain bases, 
Since that time, Twitter has challenged the validity of the July 8th termination notice and contends that the merger agreement remains in force, a position that the Musk parties are contesting. Allegations regarding certain facts known to Twitter prior to and as of July 8th, 2022, but undisclosed to the Musk parties prior to and at that time, have since come to light that provide additional and distinct bases to terminate the merger agreement. Although the Musk parties believe this termination notice is not legally necessary to terminate the merger agreement, because they've already validly terminated it as of the July 8th notice, the Musk parties are delivering this additional notice in the event that the July 8th termination notice is determined to be invalid for any reason. So look, we're fighting about the July 8th notice, uh, and now we're going to put another notice on you right now, because these other reasons why we can walk away from this deal have come up, all in connection with this Washington Post report. Or as they describe it, on August 23rd, 2022, the Washington Post published a whistleblower report to Congress, the SEC, FTC, and DOJ, filed by Peter Zatko, Twitter's former chief security officer, on July 6, 2022. The Zatko complaint alleges far-reaching misconduct at Twitter, all of which was disclosed to Twitter's directors and senior executives, including Para Gagrawal, that is likely to have severe consequences for Twitter's business. For example, Mr. Zatko alleges that Twitter is in material noncompliance with both its obligations under a 2011 FTC consent decree and its general obligations under data privacy, unfair trade practice, and consumer protection laws. Twitter is uniquely vulnerable to systemic disruption resulting from data center failures or malicious actors. Twitter's platform is built in significant part on the misappropriation and infringement of third-party intellectual property, which didn't actually appear in the Washington Post article. Twitter acquiesced to demands made by the Indian government that its agents be hired by Twitter and given access to Twitter user information. And these allegations, if true, demonstrate that Twitter has breached the following provisions of the merger agreement, thereby giving the Musk parties the right to terminate the merger agreement. Now, this is interesting in and of itself. So they are going out with, if this is true, this represents a breach of the following reps and warranties. And we'll look at those in a second. My argument here, and you will see it when we go over some of the provisions in the agreement, is that I'm not positive that you even need to believe that it is true as much as it is plausible and that it's likely to result in further bad press and investigations of the company that would otherwise lower its value and disrupt its operations. Because it's not that important when you're looking at these definitions that the actual accusations are specifically true. It's important that this event of the disclosure of this, the filing of the whistleblower complaint, the coverage of it, the congressional investigations and whatever else winds up happening in respect of this is negative towards the company and its functioning. If that is in fact the case, even if it were to be six years of litigation and Twitter were to win every single time, you'd still be going through a process that disrupted the operations of the company in a negative fashion. And well, that's the kind of thing that can get you out of closing on a deal. So let's look at what Elon Musk's team is specifically focusing on if the accusations are true. So first they point out there's a general compliance with law section. In the merger agreement, Twitter represented that it was in compliance with all applicable laws. In fact, it's broader than that. Laws, rules, regulations, things like that. That representation was apparently false when made on the date of the merger agreement and as of the date of the July 8th termination notice and as of whatever the date of closing would be, it should be pointed out. The Zacco complaint alleges that Twitter has been violating a consent decree it entered into with the FTC in 2011. Twitter has already paid a fine of $150 million for violating one aspect of that decree, and Facebook recently paid $5 billion for similar user data violations, indicating to the court, or to Twitter in this particular instance, that this is a significant material adverse effect, and so we should be able to walk away for that reason. 
They are also going back to section 4.6 saying the SEC disclosures are wrong. You promised us that they didn't contain an untrue statement or a material omission. And this particular whistleblower complaint says you failed to properly disclose concerns about privacy, data protection, and cybersecurity, at least as late as February 16th, 2022, and probably in other returns that would otherwise be subject to the merger agreement. And so we can walk away for that reason. Also, they say, hey, if you knew about this, that's fraud and the inducement, so we can rescind the entire agreement and not work within its language at all. Disclosure controls and procedures. Twitter represented that it had disclosed any fraud to the knowledge of the company, whether or not material that involves management or other employees. In this particular case, the whistleblower complaint says, Parag Agrawal knowingly presented false and misleading reports to Twitter's board of directors in order to cover up flagrant vulnerabilities in Twitter's security and data protection infrastructure, and that Twitter was made aware of precisely that in an internal report prepared by Mr. Zatko in February of 2022. Now, again, you can discount that, right? If you're Twitter, the response can be, he's lying, he's hyperbolizing, he's exaggerating. We examined it, we found it to be overwrought, and so that doesn't amount to a breach here. But it certainly confuses the issue. On the litigation side of things, Twitter is now facing, according to Musk's team, multiple congressional inquiries. The Senate Judiciary Committee has announced a full committee hearing. The House Energy and Commerce Committee announced that it is assessing next steps. And multiple U.S. senators have publicly called for the FTC and DOJ to open investigations. Twitter will also now face a myriad of civil lawsuits asserting claims pursuant to various privacy and cybersecurity laws, state consumer protection laws, false advertising laws, intellectual property theft, and misappropriation and common law claims such as unjust enrichment, fraud, and breach of contract. So one of the things Twitter has promised is there are no bits of litigation that we haven't already disclosed in our disclosure schedule related to the merger agreement. And what Elon Musk is saying is, well, with this out there, you can expect a whole lot of stuff. So what you told us vis-a-vis litigation when we signed this document can't possibly be true by the time we get to a closing date. And this all seems pretty material, doesn't it? So we should be able to walk away. Similarly, with respect to intellectual property, they go back to Zatko's complaint suggesting that Twitter never acquired the rights to its own core machine learning models, which the Musk parties understand to be fundamental to the Twitter platform itself. That's kind of a new thing. It's not even summarized in the Washington Post article, but surely if Twitter doesn't have the rights to operate its business as it's presently conducted, that is certainly the kind of thing that can arrive at a breach of the representation and one that would be significant for the operations of the company. Uh, Similarly, you've got conditions to the obligations of parent and acquisition sub where they say in the merger agreement, Twitter represented that it had not and would not experience a company material adverse effect. The breaches and consequences described above suggest that Twitter has in fact experienced that uh, and the full extent to which remains to be seen. Now we'll get to that. This is a little bit false uh, in my reading of the merger agreement. So we'll get to why I think that is. The facts supporting these breaches, which were withheld from the Musk parties, but known to Twitter as of the date of the merger agreement and at the time of the July 8th termination notice, provided additional bases to terminate the merger agreement as of that date and provide additional bases to terminate the merger agreement today if the Musk parties termination of the merger agreement pursuant to the July 8th termination notice is determined to be invalid for any reason. For the avoidance of doubt, these bases are in addition to and not in lieu of the bases for termination identified in the July 8th termination notice. We're hanging on to our MDAU and information covenant complaints, but we're adding these on top. So Elon Musk has gone out and said, hey, that was a big deal. We think that if that's true, you're in breach of all these various things. And then it could further tell the court that we think the event itself is a material adverse effect type event. Now, Twitter, as you could expect, says no. And they say it very fast. The day after Elon Musk submits his letter, 
They say, as was the case with your July 8th purported notice of termination, this purported termination set forth in your current letter is invalid and wrongful under the agreement, including under section 8.1D thereof. It is based solely on statements made by a third party that, as Twitter has previously stated, are riddled with inconsistencies and inaccuracies and lack important context. Contrary to the assertions in your letter, Twitter has breached none of its representations or obligations under the agreement, and Twitter has not suffered and is not likely to suffer a company material adverse effect. Hmm. I don't know. Twitter intends to enforce the agreement and close the transaction on the price and terms agreed upon with the most parties. Also, you're not allowed to terminate the agreement while you're in breach, and you're in breach of section 6163, 6468, and 610, as we've already set forth in our lawsuit. So, we say the deal is still on. We disagree with your termination and this will head back into court, I would imagine, on this particular subject. So that's where things sit. But let's talk about these definitions in the agreement itself and why I think this is such a significant improvement in Elon Musk's position. So let's start out with section 7.2. We've seen this before here in virtual legality, but it says the obligations of parent and acquisition sub, that's Elon Musk, to consummate the merger are subject to the satisfaction or waiver by Elon Musk of the following conditions. The company shall have performed or complied in all material respects with its obligations under the agreement. That's you will have turned over the information that you are obligated to turn over to us. That's one fight that they're having. Each of the representations and warranties of the company shall be true and correct as of the closing date, not just the signing date, except if a failure to be true and correct would not have a company material adverse effect. So this is called a bring down provision in a merger agreement. And it says, not only was that true when we signed, it has to be true as of closing in order for me to be obligated to give you $44 billion. And if I'm not obligated, well, then we might find ourselves in a bit of a holding pattern. Why? Because 7.2C also says something of high interest that you aren't obligated to close if you're Elon Musk, if there is a company material adverse effect that has occurred and is continuing. It hasn't been cured. It hasn't been fixed. Uh, And certainly if it is a significant event, it's very difficult to fix on the timelines that would otherwise be provided in the merger agreement. Now the company, Elon Musk's company, can only terminate if there's been a breach of a representation or if the board and its approval process has resulted in problems at the actual merger level. This is not necessarily a breach of representation and it's why I would argue Elon Musk's team has characterized this particular set of events from the whistleblower report in the way that they have. They want to be able to say, we can terminate. When I think one of the best arguments that they have is that they don't have to close, uh, right? That there is a company material adverse effect that has occurred and is continuing. That's not the same as being able to terminate though. Now, if we look at the definition of company material adverse effect, we've talked about this before. It doesn't say a ton. It means any change, event, effect, or circumstance which has resulted in or would reasonably be expected to result in a material adverse effect on the business financial condition or results of operations of the company and subsidiaries taken as a whole. Then there's a host of exceptions, uh, some of which relate to the current merger, some of which relate to the identity of Elon Musk, some of which relate to litigation that I think are good defenses for Twitter. 
but not so good when talking about an outside whistleblower complaint. You saw Twitter refer to this individual as third party, and it's true that he doesn't work at Twitter any longer, but he's referring to instances where he did work at Twitter, where he would have knowledge of that work at Twitter. It's a little bit disingenuous to suggest that this is purely a third party report. It's not someone coming out of the woodwork and claiming something about Twitter. It's somebody that they actually had in charge of the systems that he is complaining about. So importantly here, it's worth noting that when we look at when you can pause the closing, a company material adverse effect occurs not specifically when it has happened, has resulted in, but also when the circumstances have kind of percolated to the level of where an actual material adverse effect, something specifically negative towards the company, would reasonably be expected to occur, right? So you might say, Rick, okay, the whistleblower complaint is in, but isn't this premature? Elon Musk is saying, hey, there's going to be a bunch of civil lawsuits. There's going to be all these problems. Couldn't they wait until then? And yeah, absolutely, they could. They're trying to fit this into a termination, right? So they can just walk away from this entire lawsuit. But as a defined term, the report itself, maybe even the Washington Post article itself, could be deemed an event that would reasonably be expected to result in a negative, important effect on the business or operations of the company, right? The sole notion of, oh, Congress is now interested in it. The FTC is now looking at it again. And all these various things we see reported on might well be enough even if the bottom line at Twitter hasn't been hit yet, which which leaves us where, right? If we go back to this specific provision, it doesn't have a termination right associated with it. It just means that Elon Musk doesn't have to hand over $44 billion, which puts us in a timer scenario, right? If Elon Musk instead kind of changes his tune, if he finds that there's pushback on this whole termination concept with Twitter and says, look, the actual reporting of the whistleblower and the reporting on that reporting by the Washington Post and the investigations by Congress and everything else, those are clearly a company material adverse effect because it would be reasonable to expect something bad will happen to Twitter in this instance. And we're not in the business in Delaware or otherwise of forcing people to turn over $40 billion when there's a massive report that could significantly impact the core of their business that has been reported to federal authorities in the United States that I don't have to close until all of this is resolved which puts us in the earlier termination right that is afforded to both parties that says you can walk away from the deal entirely if it hasn't been consummated by 5 p.m. Pacific time on October 24th, 2022. So why do I think this is a potential winner for Elon Musk? It's not because his legal team has put together an enormously great set of arguments for actually terminating the deal right now. It's primarily because I think this can constitute a company material adverse effect just happening out there in the wild. And it's very difficult for me to imagine a Delaware judge in the court of chancery looking at this scenario as October rolls in for the trial and saying we should be able to force Elon Musk to close over this particular whistleblower complaint and not just let the timer run out. So did Elon Musk win on all of this? I can't rightly say, but I can say that he's in a far stronger position than he started out with when we were talking about his countersuit and his answers. And I think that realistically, Elon Musk has the better chance of walking away from this deal as it stands right now, primarily because I think that this does in fact constitute a company material adverse event. 
Thank you for watching Virtual Legality. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you'd like to support the channel, we've got a Utreon, we've got a Patreon, we've got all sorts of ways to support us. If you don't like any of those, just upvoting, downvoting, subscribing, doing all the things YouTube likes. If you did watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. Share it around, and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Thanks so much. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.